All right. So number one, these were more uh, introspective songs and thought-provoking. How many understand that? Slower songs than normal, but I think it's important we understand that in the worst tribulations that ever could be, there still is a God. He still is in charge, and He's my God. And He loves me and cares for me. Praise the Lord for that. So, I don't know if you know this, but this year, this fall, is the church's 20th anniversary. So, we've been alive 20 years. That's pretty young. Just a young kid. Right? And uh, we want to celebrate that in a fashion, but we don't want to celebrate like, look what we did, because we did nothing. Amen? It's God who gives the increase. It's God that spurned the hearts of people. And it's God that needs the glory and deserves the glory. Amen? So here's what we are going to be doing probably in the month of October and probably at the end of October. We are going to have a... Um, that day will be basically... Um, what am I going to say? A anniversary Sunday? And what we'd like to do, uh, two things. What we'd like to do is, number one, if you have a testimony that you'd like to share for that Sunday of how God has used His Word in this town, in this church, to glorify His name in your life, we'd like you to write that down and have a testimony ready. Does that make sense? This will not be your opportunity to have a half hour of speaking. All right. <laughs> We are going to condense that about a couple of minutes. Does that make sense? Test, a testimony is a short, condensed testimony about what God has done. So if you have that, I would encourage you to write it out and give it to my wife on a piece of paper or type it out on a Word doc and send it to me, okay? So then I have a record of who's giving a testimony and I can organize that on a PowerPoint. Does that make sense? And then um, we'll have testimony times that day. We also have preaching. I mean, we need to glorify the Lord not only in testimonies, but the preaching of the Word. Amen? What is the preaching of the Word for? For the edification of the saints and the glory of God. Amen? Uh, you know, we get splattered with so many stuff apart from God's Word throughout the week. Amen? That we need the Word of God in our lives and so the preaching of the word is for that part of that the second thing i'd like you to do is this um, um we are discussing this with the elders and uh we uh, we're still discussing of how we set it all up and everything if you have pictures of of old church stuff like my wife continues to remind me of two little boys in the basement of the Catholic Church building, three little boys in the basement of the Catholic Church building running around the church building in the basement because there's two doors to the nursery and one person guarding each one and they still got out. How many understand that? They are now in their 20s and they're still doing that. No, they're not. <laughs> no. I think it's Jake, Josh, and Isaiah are the ones... <laughs> 
Anyways, uh, what a blessing. I will tell you this, what a blessing to see those young people still serving the Lord today. What a blessing that is that they love the Lord and want to continue to serve Him. And we have history here. We have uh, one of our young people as an elder at different, a different um, church in a different state, and another one is a leader in a different a church in a different state, and some are moms and dads that are raising children that are adopted, and there is one's a uh, history of professor, history, church, or not history, Old Testament professor at a seminary, a large seminary in, in uh, out east. And so there is, God has used this church. And we want to give God the glory because many times, let's be honest, we as Americans, we don't, we think there's more to life and we're missing what God has already done. Right? Blessings have been showered on us as a people. And we need to thank God for those blessings. Not that we live in the past, but we glorify God in what He has done in the past and what He will continue to do as we grow in Him. Amen? So, two things. Did you hear those two things? Testimony if you'd like. But then secondly, send me some pictures I will, I'm going to try to do some things with those. If it's not this year, it might be some other time. But I want those, and this is a good time to do that. And it'll jog your memory, right? All right. So, just so you know, some of you, many of you probably were never here that during the beginning of the church, but it was uh, um, here, uh, here's what happened. The first, the first uh, Sunday, we were meeting. How many have ever been to the cabin? I don't know if you remember this, Andrew, probably. We were meeting at the cabin having Bible studies. That's all we were doing. In mud season. And I just, it, we, literally, in some places, it was knee-deep of mud to get down to the cabin. It was horrible. <laughs> and I just said, all right, we're done. We're done. We're just, we're going to rent the largest church in Grand Rapids. <laughs> and we're just going to preach that Sunday and see what God does. That Sunday, there were five families at that church building. And we've never looked back. And we praise the Lord for that, very much so. And we want to remember those times from whence God has brought us. And so that's one um, uh, uh, commercial I wanted to bring out so you can remember that. Secondly, the second thing is today, I, would, I appreciate your prayers. We, I'm serving a young family whose child just spent over a week in the hospital and they don't know what's happening. She's 15 years old. And I've got to go up there today because I'm building their kitchen and I want to serve them somehow, some way. Uh, they need some help spiritually. Um, I tried talking to the mother a little, grandmother a little bit and that I said, I hope you're a lady of faith. And she just looked at me and sobbed and said, I don't know where my faith is right now at all. 
because she's so discouraged. So I have to leave as soon as the service is over and head up there um, because they're coming home from the hospital today and I need to be there to serve them, not only to get the kitchen done, that's not what I'm necessarily doing, but I want to be there for them. Does that make sense? Got to encourage them in some way. So that being said, where's Bill? He's the empty chair. <laughs> All right. Um, Tim, are you, are you going over there to the picnic? Would you just, can you take charge of that as far as getting us started? Bill, I think, is in charge of getting everything over there, right? That's normal. But if you'd make sure that that gets started and stuff, I'm not going to, Frida and I are not going to be there. I apologize, that's not normal for us. Um, but, um, and if you're a visitor here, I just talked to Brock. So if you're a visitor here, please join us so we get to know you um, and uh, have dinner with us. It's potluck, so you get to taste all the cuisines of all the people from different areas in life, all the way from Warba, <laughs> all the way up to the scenic, uh, sometimes down to Split Hand, um, and out east to Deer River sometimes. <laughs> Anyways... We'd love to have you. You're always welcome. If you did not bring anything, there has been plenty of food. So please join us and uh, get, to, get to meet some people. Um, that's important. All right, those are the two commercials I was supposed to tell you, and I hope those are helpful for you. All right, this morning is a little different service this morning. I'm not going to use the PowerPoint. This is too, uh, there's too much information, and there's, it's just verse after verse after verse, and we're going to use our Bibles a lot this morning. And so if you do have your Bibles, I invite you to take them at this time. I'm drinking pop because I'm guessing this week there's going to be a freeze. How many would agree with that? And if that happens, I don't need this anymore. <laughs> my chest and my nose and my head and my eyes will all be cleared again. But... Until then, this is the medicine of Pastor Graf. So. Two weeks ago, I don't know if you remember that when Pastor Flink preached. That day was so hard on me, I, I would have never been able to preach. It was so bad and so difficult. I praise the Lord for His timing and I praise the Lord for men like Pastor Flink and others you're going to have, that's the other one, um, you are going to have uh, 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 Mr. Zarin's going to be preaching and teaching the 16th and the 23rd. We will have a video on church history for you for, church, for CE hour. And then church service is Rodney was going to preach. So Rodney's going to preach uh, Sunday morning church service. So you're going to have a different preacher for a couple of weeks because my wife and I are leaving for 10, 11 days. We're leaving for 11 days and that sounds like a vacation, but here's the reality. We're going to North Carolina because I have classes to go to that take all day, papers to write like a 200-page dissertation, <clears throat> and then 
my counselors to meet with to make sure I'm on track to graduate this May. So this will be no vacation, believe me. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it'll be something I truly love. So we'll be gone for two weeks. And um, uh, please pray for us while we're there. And I will be praying for you as we are gone. Romans chapter 13. We are studying the book of Romans. We have been studying it for a couple of years now. What we do is normal is we take a book and we just simply go through it verse by verse, word through word, because the importance of the Scripture is this. We must understand the authorial intent of what He's trying to say in the Bible. Amen. What is God trying to say to us? Not to what, what, is what I want Him to say. What is God trying to say? So the only way to do that well is to understand the historical, the grammatical, the hermeneutical context of the book. And we've done that by preaching word for word. It is interesting that I just learned this on Monday of last week. As I was sitting listening to one of my classes on church history, we were <clears throat> there was a man named uh, Hugh... H-E-W-Y-N-E. I don't know how to pronounce that. But he was a pastor in the colonial states, uh, the colonies, if you will. And he had the sons of liberty within his congregation. How many understand this? All right. He had the sons of liberty in his, con- in his, in his congregation. And he preached from Romans 13. Here's what he preached. We are to submit to the government only when the government submits to God. That was the first shot of the Revolutionary War because people got hyper after that. Many people believe that is the sermon that sparked the revolution eventually. Here's the problem. That's not what that text says. It's not at all what it says. Just think about that. Submit to government only when the government submits to God. So let me ask you, did Jesus Christ tell the world to give to Caesar what is Caesar's? Yes or no? Let me ask you, was the Roman government submitting to God? Not even close. Matter of fact, within 40 years of Jesus Christ saying that, Rome came with Titus in charge and wiped Jerusalem off the map. Just destroyed them, ransacked them, pillaged them for three years. They would let people into Jerusalem and never would let them out. And there are stories in Jewish literature all that mothers were boiling their babies to eat them. Horrendous! But God said, render to Caesar who's, what's Caesar's. And it wasn't just the Jewish, or it wasn't just the Roman Empire that was anti-God. Matter of fact, every emperor in, just about every emperor in the Roman Emperor felt themselves to be a God. Totally anti-Christian. Antichrist. Yet, 
somehow, some way, that preacher found in the text this unbiblical truth that he preached. How many think that's a problem? That happens because people have an agenda. They want their agenda and their ideas to be promoted, so they're going to look in the text and find out if they can find it in the text to prove their point. Then what happens is everything they look at is in those rose-colored glasses. Is that not true? Let me ask you this. Is it true that in America today you can believe anything you want to believe? Yes or no? Sure, you have the freedom to do that. Here's what's interesting. No matter what you believe, I guarantee it, you can find it and quantify it and qualify it, I guess you could say, and, and um, have backing and support somewhere on the internet. No matter what it is. You can. Does it make it right? Not at all. doesn't make it right at all. This is why we ex- Sajit, and use expository preaching from this pulpit. The day that the, the uh, average sermon is a topical sermon is the day I will not any longer be here. There are times we need to preach topically. But that topic needs to be exegeted within the context of the text, not just ripped out of it for our own use. Does that make sense? That's so important. It happens all the time. I just <coughs> I was blown away. I was blown away when I heard that. And actually there were two sermons. That was the first one. The second one had people going out and, and actually doing things physically with guns and, and different things. All right. By the way, that has nothing to do with whether the revolution was right or wrong. That has to do with that preacher was wrong and not giving the correct understanding of the text. That's all I'm saying. Romans chapter 13, because I love America, by the way. Everybody love America? God has placed you here. What a blessing. What a blessing. Romans chapter 13, verse 11. So this is on the heels of of the text that we just talked about that the guy preached on, that we are to submit to government. Why, Why are we to submit to government? Because we are to be good citizens in order to be able to present the gospel to the masses. No one's gonna listen to the mob mentality that we saw down in Minneapolis and say, oh, I wanna be like them. I wonder what they think of Jesus. I'm gonna ask those guys that burned down the the um the police department, how to know that I'm a Christian. That's what I'm going to ask them. Does that make sense? No. No, we need to be good citizens so that people will listen to the story we have to tell them. We need to do it in love, which the whole chapter 12 and chapter 13 are extremely focused on love. Matter of fact, our debt should be paid. The debt that needs to be paid is love, right? According to the text, verse uh, 8. And we found that we are to submit to the government. Why? Because they're the ones that are to be punishing the evil, right? They are the ones. We aren't vigilantes, amen. We aren't, technically, we do not judge people 
to sentence them. That's not our... We have magistrates that do that, right? There are judges that do that. There are legislators that make the law. There are judges that, that uh, penalize for not obeying that law. There are sheriffs and police that go around and they take people and, and give them tickets for not doing what the law said. That's the government. We aren't that, per se. Now, verse 11 talks about something totally different. Or does it? Let's read verses 10 and all the way down through 14, but the context we're in is verse 11 through 14. Love does no wrong to their neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Do this. Do what? How many remember last week we went, you know, how do we interpret verse 8? Owe nothing to anyone. Well, some people say we need to never have a debt. That's not what that's saying. That is saying we owe everybody love. That's the main number one thing, right? Love. It starts out in Romans 12. Love, love, love. And goes all the way down. Romans chapter 12, verses 1, all the way through the chapter, end of the chapter. And now into 13, it's saying the same thing. How many remember we, love does this, love does this, love does this? Every verse of the Bible. I'm not going to go through that again, but it does. And now he's saying, do this. Do what? That's not hard. Do this. What? Say it out loud, anybody, please. Love. Love. Love each other. Love. It's basically verses 11 through 14 are bringing it to conclusion and summarizing what he has been saying in two chapters. By the way, just so you know, chapters and verse are not in the original, all right? They are there so we can find verses easier. But if you take and start breaking up the Bible that way, when you're preaching, you're going to have problems. Chapters 12 and 13 are one big conglomeration of context. How many understand that? We shouldn't be breaking those up. Now, it's helpful, I get it, but just remember that. This morning, I'm going to give you basically a grammatical explanation of verses 11 through 14, and then we're going to go back and say, okay, what does this mean? How is this practically applied? Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour you to, for you to awaken from sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore let us lay aside the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us behave properly as in the day, not in carousing and drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. What is this talking about? Let me ask you this. Is this eschatological speak? Yes or no? What is eschatology? Okay, that's a big word. Let's, let's figure this out, all right? Eschatology is the doctrine or theology of end times. How God is planning on doing things in the future. Correct? That's all it is. Now, as we know, we're not going to go to the Christian bookstore and look at the whole wall full of eschatology about what people's ideas are and all that. That's not where we're headed today. 
Amen? <laughs> but I will tell you, there are three main ways to view eschatology, specifically. The reality is, I don't know of any Christians that do not believe that there is a millennium. How many understand that? Christ talks about it, the text talks about it, there are prophecies about it, there is a millennium. There are three ways to view that. Number one is an amillennial view. An amillennial view believes that we are presently in the millennial age. Okay. Number two. What is the millennium, by the way? And we'll get to that in a little bit. Number two, there is a post-millennial view. The post-millennial view says we are not in the millennium yet, but the church will usher in the millennial kingdom. It is up to the church. Number three, there is a pre-millennial or a dispensational millennial kingdom where Christ brings in, it sets up and rules the literal thousand-year reign of Jesus Christ on this earth. That is called millennial, the, the physical, real, future, dispensational millennium. How many understand that? It's very quick. There's like thousands of pages written on that stuff. I did it in about two seconds. So it's not fair. I get it, but I don't have time here. The reality is those three views... This text has something to say about those three views. And we will look into it. But let's look at the text itself. Love, first of all, do this. It's talking about, um, and this. It's a summary of chapters 12, 1 through, all the way through the verse thir or 10 of chapter 13. The first part of the verse can be paraphrased. Put into practice all the exhortations, all the stuff that is found in Romans 12, 1 through th chapter 13, verse 10. All this stuff needs to be put in practice right now. Why? Because the day is approaching. The night is far spent. And he's then going to give us an imperative. What is the imperative? And I, I love this, and this is very difficult not to do this. I will tell you this. I, I, I studied multiple commentators to find out some of these Greek words and things. Here's the reality. Almost everybody agrees the same thing on this. So this is going to sound like any other conservative preacher on this topic. How many understand that? There are some things that I'm going to do that, that come from Schreiner, from John MacArthur, from, mul uh, from multiple other people. Um, but I'm, this is not going to be their sermon, but I will tell you, I, was, I went to them for sources. How many understand that? John MacArthur probably is my favorite one on this because it's very frank. Look what it says. Do this knowing that the time is already the hour for you to what? What's, what's the, uh, uh, the um, command here? Wake up. If you would go to John MacArthur commentary, his first point, what do you think it is? Wake up. It's right from the text. <laughs> you can't really do any better than that, right? So how many have ever heard of alliteration? I never use alliteration. And, and some people, well, you're, you're a terrible preacher. Yeah, I am. Okay. I'm just going to use the words that the text uses. When you alliterate, it's easier to remember them. But this, I think, is awesome. So, here we go. Awaken from sleep, for your knowledge is your salvation is near to us than when we believe. The night is almost gone, and the days are therefore 
let us what? What's the next imperative? Lay aside the wrong deeds, right? Lay aside the right, wrong deeds. Verse 13, what else is there? Behave properly. These are verbs that God is telling us this is what we should be doing right now. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing in the, in the drunkenness, not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Put on the Lord Jesus. What do you think his last point is? Put on Christ. <laughs> so this isn't going to be some weird new stuff. And by the way, if it was, we got a problem. <laughs> We're finding someone else's opinion and not the text. We're just going to go with what the text says. Romans 13, 11 through 14 then comprehends all the preceding exhortations and summons the reader, okay, I told you to love, 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 and we get down now, get up, awake, wake up, and love. Wake up and love. There is eschatological dimension to this text for sure. Why? Knowing the time. That's eschatological. That is already the hour for you to wake up. For the salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. The night is almost gone. The day is near. What day? Okay, the text says salvation. Amen. I would argue this. There's a term throughout Scripture that is used multiple times in different ways when talking about eschatology. This one's no different. This is talking about the day of the Lord. The day of the Lord is coming. And by the way, it's the day of the Lord. Say, so, well, yeah. It's not the day of the church. It's the day of the Lord. That has, that has eschatological ramifications. So, <clears throat> The hour is a eschatological flavor. The reason given is that salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. How many of you thought you were saved? Let me, let's just do this. Can everybody raise their hand? I'm not trying to make you Pentecostal or Baptist or anything like that. All right. Everybody has this. They can do this. All right. Let me ask you. How many of you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Raise your hand. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for that. How many believe because of that you are already saved? Raise your hand. Amen, 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 and amen. Oh me, it says that differently here. How is it different? Here's the difference. You have been, your salvation is guaranteed by God. Amen. So therefore, you can say, I'm saved, praise the Lord, I'm saved. And that was a true statement. But it is not completed yet. Let me ask you, have you been justified and therefore saved? Yes or no? Absolutely. God has justified you. Are you now being sanctified by Christ? Amen? You're becoming more and more like Him. We're putting on Christ more and more each day because we're in the text. We're praying. We're focused on Christ. Amen? There's another thing that happens. It's from Romans chapter 8. To them He called, He also predestined. To whom He predestined, 
he also justified. Whom he justified, he also, what's that? Glorified. How many of you are living in a glorified body? Raise your hand. How many can wait for your glorified body? Raise your hand. Amen. Your salvation is set in heaven. Your salvation is forever, but your glorification is yet to come. Amen. And that's what he's talking about. There is going to be a fulfillment of that salvation where you will put on a glorified body. Amen. All of you, I said this when I was in the Catholic Church so many times, not as a Catholic preacher, as a, when we started the church. <sighs> I would say it this way. Someday, everybody will be perfect. Five foot six, blonde hair, blue eyes. And a passion for the Lord. Amen? <laughs> okay. But you get it, right? We're all going to have perfect bodies. No more sickness. No more COVID, whatever that is. No more, and I'm not saying it's not, just don't take that wrong, okay? No more disease. No more hay fever. <laughs> no more cancer. And you can go on and on and on and on. No more dementia. Pneumonia. None of that. None of that is there. Our end game of salvation is glorification with Christ. Amen. And that's what this is talking about. Do this knowing that the time, and that is it's already the hour for you to awaken from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we, began, when we believed. Now let me ask you, if this is talking about, and I believe it is, when Christ comes to take his church home, the day of the Lord. Now, some people would argue and that says, no, no, that's, that's when Christ is going to come to, be, to judge the world. Okay? Doesn't matter. It's when Christ is going to come, though, correct? Regardless of your eschatological bend, I don't care if you're an amillennialist, postmillennialist, or premillennialist, the issue is when Christ comes, that hour is what he's talking about. Now, as a premillennialist, we believe that Christ is going to come in the air and take us home in the rapture to, according to Revelation 3.10, keep us from the wrath of God. Amen? So, regardless though, we are anticipating the coming of Christ. And it is closer now than it was when you were first saved. How many would say, amen, I was saved 10 years ago. That's true, Right? Of course it's true. But what is also true is if this millennium, this coming of Christ, is equal to the church, do we have a problem with this text? We do. Was the church well established by Romans 13? Yes or no? Absolutely. The church was well established by Romans 13. Very established. Yet they were looking for what? The coming of Christ. You see, we couldn't already be in the millennium at this moment. 
they are anticipating that to happen. How many understand that? That's a big deal. This very text is important to eschatological truths. Because there's no reason to awake now, and you better get ready because the night, the day's coming. Well, why hope that was already here? It's not. It's coming. It's in the future yet. What view of millennialism has a problem with that understanding? All millennialism. They believe it's right now. In a moment, we're going to find out what the, what the millennial kingdom has in it. And then you're going to say, well, yeah, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> right? <clears throat> Do this, knowing the time that it is already the hour for you to be awakened from your sleep. For now salvation is nearer to us than when we believed. Obviously, that is true. There is a time and place when we, were, we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen. And Christ saved us from our sins. Amen. And he set us free from the power and the penalty of sin, in a sense. Unfortunately, we still battle this old man every day. We still battle the sins of this world. We are not perfect, but we will be. We will be, but not on this earth. And that's what he's anticipating. <clears throat> the night has, has advanced. It designates the reign of evil has almost expired. It is in its last gasp. The night has advanced. How many of you have ever seen the night being a positive aspect in Scripture? <laughs> night and darkness are almost always in negative, are they not? Almost always it's talked in negative. This is the same thing. The night is almost done. What do you mean? The evil is almost finished. The age of the evil. Let me ask you, does, that have, does all millennials have a problem with that? Well, certainly. The night is almost, it's almost done. And here's go. In opposite, the day has drawn near. We are closer to Christ's coming than we ever were before in history. Amen. And it seems as though there was a Pew report came out last, like a week ago or two weeks ago. And in that Pew report, they said that Christianity by 2027, that's not too far from now will be a minority religion in the world. Why? Our thing, let me ask you. We just watched a video for our CE hour. It was a very short one. I think it was two minutes long. The guy said, America was not based on Christian foundation. It was deist and all this other stuff, and it's, it was terrible, it was horrible, it was wicked. But we are more Christian today than we were then. What? What? Folks, we are so much less Christian. As I'm reading this, look at this. Let me ask you, look at verse 13. Let us behave properly as in the day, not carousing and drunkenness, 
not in sexual promiscuity and sensuality, not in strife and jealousy. Would you say that verse 13 depicts America as a whole in general? Sexuality is perverting America right now in many, many ways. It's being promoted by the leaders of our government. It is. And it's not right. That's darkness. That's not light. How many would say amen to that? That's a huge thing, folks. And by the way, it's not going to last. Say why? Science, true biblical science, knows the difference. Right? It's not hard. I love, okay, so Facebook has some good things. Actually, it never has good things, but whatever. It, it, it's, it's, I would love to see some of these people try to milk a bowl. Let's see how that works. I was listening to not too long ago, I don't remember who it was, but this lady got on and she says, yes, men can have babies. Folks, we are in a dark era of American history. However you want to look at it, it is dark. We are not the Christian nation we used to be. Not that the Christian nation we used to be was perfectly right. We never will be perfectly right. Not until glory. But regardless, All the imperatives in this text flow from this nearness of the eschaton. How many say, okay, I get that. Because it says, it says, hey, knowing the time, what time? The time of coming of Christ. The hour, what hour? The hour of the Lord. Salvation is nearer than when we believe. The night, the wickedness, the badness is almost gone. The day, the greatness, the millennial kingdom is near. Therefore, or I'm going to advocate, I would advocate this. It's not just the millennial kingdom. It's the day of the Lord. And I want to make sure I use that because the day of the Lord, I believe, starts at the rapture of His church in general. It's all-encompassing there. Now, I do believe there will be a day of the Lord specifically when He sets His feet on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. Which, by the way, the Bible says all things will be ruled from Jerusalem. Let me ask you this. If all things are going to be ruled with a rod of iron from Jerusalem, has that happened yet? Not at all. So therefore, there's another problem with amillennialism. Does that make sense? So the night is almost gone. The day is near. Therefore, let us lay aside the deeds of darkness. You should be being sanctified day after day after day after day, putting these things away. But instead, our world, our country, our whole culture is embracing these things more and more and more. Do you see that? 
One of the most disturbing things, not only about the sexual things, and that is a huge issue. I think that will clear itself out when people just wake up and smell the roses. That's all they have to do. Right? A man is a man, a woman is a woman. A pedophile has no business teaching my grandchild of five years old in a library. Why would he be doing that in the first place? It's ugh, unbelievable what's going on. It's wicked out there. It's horrible out there. What are we to do? Verse 13, let us behave properly as in the day. What day is he talking about? Let us behave properly as in the day. For, so, so far, he's been very clear that the day and the night are totally different. The night involves sexuality in a wicked sense. By the way, sexuality is not all wicked. It is a gift by God. Amen? Some of you men and women should have said amen to that and hugged your wife. Give her a kiss. Praise God for that gift. Amen. Young people, it is a great and awesome and perfect gift of God if it is done in His time and His ways. Does that make sense? The Bible gives us perfect. No, fornication is a sin. Why is it a sin? I will tell you this. It not only affects you immediately, it will affect you for your entire life. Sometimes worse than others, depending on what has happened. But the point is, the day is certainly not representative. <clears throat> it's the antithesis of carousing and drunkenness and sexual promiscuity and sensuality or strife or jealousy. It's the opposite of that. It's talking about the day. The day being when Christ is here. Amen? When these things are all good things, not bad things. When love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness, those are the things that rule the world. How many can't wait for that? Amen. It's not going to happen by a political revolution. It'll happen by Christ. It'll happen by Christ. Ephesians chapter 6 talks about this very thing. You see, we're not just supposed to be sitting here twiddling our thumbs saying, hey, come on, let's get out of here. That is the problem of most, I shouldn't say most, of many, that's more fair probably, of many pre-tribulational rapturists is just get me out of here, I don't want to be here anymore. I understand that tendency, but what does the text say? Awake! Be that good citizen. Why awake? We've got a job to do. We're not supposed to be sleeping through this. Amen. We're supposed to be out there giving the love of God to everyone. Amen. That's the point. And while we're doing that, while we're awaking and in this, we are in a battle. Not a political battle, a religious battle. We're a spiritual battle where we are fighting daily evil. Amen? 
We are fighting daily the evil. Awake! The day is drawn near. The works of darkness. They put, we put on the weapons of light. Put on the Romans, Ephesians chapter 6, the armor of God. Putting on 1 Thessalonians 5.8, the breastplate of faith. And then Romans 13.13 says we are to live how? Decently. Put on the armor of light. It's the same idea here. Behave properly or decently as in the day. In other words, the idea is we are to be living as if the day has already come. Do you understand that? We are to be living love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness. How many understand that? That's what we are to do. And by the way, and this is where I, differ, I, I, I differentiate with brothers and sisters in Christ. There is a sense in which the millennium, the kingdom, is already not yet. Listen, folks, are you a kingdom citizen, amen, or oh me? You are. Does the Lord live within you? Is He is your Father, amen? In that sense, we are already there spiritually speaking. The early dispensationalists called it the spiritual kingdom and the earthly kingdom. Regardless of how you denunciate that or articulate that, the issue is, we are the citizens of the heavenly kingdom, the heavenly realm, and we need to live like it now, here. Why? Other people need that. That's what it's saying. Why in the world did you get left here? I say this to many people. I say, you know, if I was talking to a, 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 an elderly man this week. <coughs> <coughs> Sorry. I love medicine. <clears throat> All right, now I'm going to have a deeper voice. Oh, well, <clears throat> it's not two or it's three frogs. Regardless, here's the issue. <clears throat> if the gospel of Jesus Christ was just to save you and not to change you, then why are you still here? Did you follow that? <clears throat> the gospel of Jesus Christ is not only to save you from hell, it is to change your life and be a minister of His on this earth during this wicked, horrible, dark night. Amen. That's what the text is saying. Be a good citizen. Why? Because there's a lost and dying world. Look at how bad it's going. It's getting. You know, <clears throat> I'm working on church history, and there was a uh, a movement when when the colonies were started. The whole eastern border was colonized by Christian people, and they were Christian state churches, literally. And I'm going to prove for that in the next few weeks in our church history class. But regardless. Then came what is called the Enlightenment. I know what the Enlightenment is. 
Enlightenment was the sciences started to explode, right? And what people did is they left the church because of scientific proofs in their mind. How many understand that? And there was this battle between science and faith, and it still is today, by the way. There's a difference between science and faith. Is there not? Okay, there, there's that struggle. And praise the Lord, God has given us the ability to think through what the stars are doing and how to use math and how to, uh, the biology of, of how we can help each other. Amen? All those things are wonderful. But I will tell you that this, those things can be unified with Scripture, not smashing each other. Amen? Not fighting about it. But faith, so what really happens today is the extreme science looks at faith and goes, you are, what do they call them? Neanderthalish. They do. There's, what, what's faith? That's nothing. And then the faith guys on way the extreme right are looking at, you science guys are just a bunch of, that's, that's, that's just stupid. <laughs> that's all they talk to. <laughs> Stop it. Science is real. Some of it's fantastic because it's not being manipulated by an agenda. I wish they would use that today in their sexual perversion and revolution. It would go a long way. But faith, I would argue, is of greater importance because God is the sovereign God, not Darwin or whoever else. I appreciate some of the things those scientists have done. I am so thankful they are still not God and they do not know. Today, the greatest thing in the world, I think, would be for the public school system to open up and say, you know what? We're preaching evolution as a theory and creation as a theory side by side. Amen, amen, and amen. Bring it on. Praise the Lord. Amen. But that's far from away from here now. All right, let's get back to the text because I have lost my place so bad. So, from this brief exegesis of what we took through the text, we looked at these things very quickly. We're going to go through them in detail the next couple of weeks. But I want to understand, I want us to understand this. Following this declaration that godly love, verse 10, godly love does what? Fulfills the law, right? That's what it says. Verse 8, the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Verse 10, Love doesn't wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. It's it's very clear. Godly love fulfills the law. On that basis, Paul then is urgent about people becoming more like Jesus Christ. Because there's no one ever has trumped the love of God like Christ has. Amen. It's not possible. And so that's what he's saying. This is urgent. 
But you need to become more and more like the Lord Jesus. Why? Because He Himself is the source and the power of divine required love. The reality is, the more we are like Christ, the more we will love like Christ. Amen? We will love like Christ. We are to put on the Lord Jesus Christ in 14a, it says. That, par- that phrase summarizes sanctification. The continuous spiritual growth of those who have become children of God through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The faithful, obedient, loving Christian grows spiritually by becoming increasingly like Christ. I think, I think it was MacArthur that had this, this, this whole thing about what were people called in the early church by the secular world. They were called first in Antioch, I think is the exact text. Christians. What does that mean? Christians. Okay, you could say Christ-like. The, the actual anatomy of that word is little Christs. Regardless, follower of Christ, little Christs, whatever, that, that's the idea. Now let me ask you, would the church today be called little Christs in how they love? Well, I can tell you that the Southern Baptist Convention is basically split on the woke movement. Would Christ be split in that? Is the church loving like Christ? Or have they twisted the word love to mean what? Emotional, blind eye to sin, doesn't care about that. How many understand that? <clears throat> Matter of fact, and I don't remember, I've read so I love, how many love reading? If you don't love reading, shame on you. <laughs> you need to love reading. I'm telling you, Ah, it is so refreshing to learn so much about who God is. What He has already done. What He's going to do. But I remember reading in one of these commentaries that I've read over the last week here is that <clears throat> I don't remember the name of the, of, the, of the island, but there's the island up just out of Antioch in the Mediterranean Sea. Cyprus, maybe. It's not Cyprus. It might be. I don't remember. Crete, Crete. It's Crete. Cyprus is the one over farther. It's, I think it's Crete. Paul went in to preach, preach to, the, uh, to the governor of that whole island. I don't, how many know that? He had an audience with the, whole, uh, with, the whole, with the governor and everything. So he went in there and he preached the gospel. Imagine that. He didn't preach politics. He didn't try to get laws changed. He just tried to give them the word of God. So he, he preached them the gospel and the governor come back and he's, he's like, you see, the little Christ was a derogatory term. Christians, those Christians. You look at historians in Rome and they say the, 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 the mob and the inflations and the, all the, uh, what was that called in Minneapolis two years ago? 
The riots that took place in Rome are due to Christus. Mm. That's the word in the original text of the historians. Most people believe that's talking about Christ. And that's why they were thrown out of Rome, the, Rome, uh, the Jewish were. But the, the Christus and Christ, that was a derogatory word. Why? Because what does the world call those that are hanging, hanging on a cross? What is it? Cursed. See, in their mind, he's a cursed man. He's nothing. To us, he's God. He is deity. So they get to this. He, he, so Christ, Christus or of Christ or little Christian is a derogatory term. Now, with that understanding, go with me to Paul in Crete talking to the governor. The governor turns around and said, Oh, Paul, you almost made me a one of those Christians. But I know better. I didn't fall for your trap. How many can see that? So, the Bible says, and this is where we're going <laughs> to, I've introduced the text. It's all we've done. But the first thing we need to do, according to the text, the, what the text is crying for us to do is, first of all, we understand it's eschatological, right? Something in the future here. And it is knowing the time, the hour, we are to do what? We're to love. What's the verb that is used in the text to tell us what we are to do? Wake up. Wake up. Wake up for what? Well, it could be to set up his earthly kingdom. Let's just go down that road just for a second. The millennial kingdom is the title given to a thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on the earth. Some seek to interpret the thousand year millennium as an allegorical manner. They understand the thousand years as merely a, a figurative way of saying a long period of time. Not a literal, physical reign of Christ on the earth. However, just in Romans, Revelation chapter 20, the millennial kingdom is specifically said to be a thousand years in length six times. As if, listen, I'm trying to tell you, you got to listen to this. Six times in just like, I don't know if it's five to seven verses, six times in those little verses, he says this is a thousand year reign of Christ. I would add, if God wishes to communicate a long period of time, he could have just said a long period of time. Who has given me the authority to say that thousand years really isn't a thousand years, it's just a long period of time? Who's given me that authority to do that? Nobody has. Furthermore, if I do say that, where do I have proof that that's true? Now, if I preach that a thousand years means a thousand years, what proof do I have? Huh. That's a big deal. A thousand years is a thousand years. I can't stray from that. 
If I do, I may or may not, and probably am, perjuring myself according to Scripture. So I have to take it as it says, and for me to change it, that would be, I, I could not in good conscience ever do that. The Bible tells us, for this millennial kingdom, the Bible tells us that when Christ returns to the earth, he will establish himself as king in Jerusalem, sitting on the throne of David. Where do we find that? Luke chapter 1. The unconditional covenants demand a literal, physical return of Christ to establish his kingdom. Where do we find that? Starts in Genesis chapter 12. You can go through it, and there's multiple passages in the Old Testament. It says, I will, be your, I will be your God, and you will be my people. Promises after promises after promises. They are not, let me put it this way, they are unconditional covenants. What does that mean? It's one-sided. God makes the promise, God makes it happen. Period. How do we know that? Abraham was standing afar off. He never was with them. Christ, God, when the covenant was made. Genesis chapter 2, the Palestinian government. How many knew that there was a covenant? Not government. Palestinian covenant. How many know that there was a Palestinian covenant? Okay. There's a pa Palestinian covenant. That Palestinian covenant promises Israel a restoration to the land and occupation of the land in Deuteronomy chapter 30. The Davidic covenant promises Israel a king from David's line who will rule forever, giving the nation rest from all their enemies. 2 Samuel 7, 10-13. Now either God lied or that's yet to happen. I'm not in the way of saying God lied. Damned would I, should I be if I were to say that. Therefore, it's going to happen. At the second covenant, covenant coming, these covenants will be fulfilled as Israel is regathered from the nations. Matthew chapter 24 talks about that. They will be converted, Zechariah.
Now, is this the millennial kingdom he's talking about? Or is this when Jesus comes in the clouds and receives the witnesses in the cloud and receives his people? Is that what he's talking about? First of all, does it matter? In a sense, it matters. Let me ask you, when Jesus comes again to take us home in a rapture, you know, I'm a pre-tribulationalist, pre-tribulationalist rapture, pre-tribulationalist, pre-millennial rapturist. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I believe Jesus is coming again in the clouds, not on the earth quite right yet. He's going to take us home to be with him. He's saving us from the wrath of God. He talks about that in Revelation, talking about the tribulation, right? Now, when is he going to take us home? Some people believe it's pre-tribulation period, seven years. Some believe it's mid-tribulational seven years. <clears throat> I believe that there will be a resurrection midway through the tribulation, but I believe the rapture is a pre-tribulational rapture for the church. Revelation chapter 6 and chapter 7 deal with John is standing in heaven, and he says, who in the world are all these people that just showed up in heaven? Who are they? The Bible makes it clear who they are. The Bible says those are, these are those that have been martyred during the Great Tribulation. Well, so you know what that is. Regardless, the issue is Jesus is coming again. And he's going to take us home or going to enter us into the millennium. After seven years, I believe, but either one, both are true. The reality is, when Jesus comes again, who's going to enter the millennial kingdom? Only Christians. What about all the unsaved? Here's a statement. It's too late. At the end of the tribulation and the beginning, before the beginning of the millennium, technically, all the wicked will be judged and separated from the good. And he will throw all sinners into eternal damnation. It's called the judgment of the nations. <clears throat> and the metaphor is judging between sheep and goats. Listen, folks, we all know if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are a sheep. Amen? If you have not, you are a goat. I'm telling you this. There is very little time for you to tell people about Jesus Christ. Wake up. That's what he's saying. Wake up. Stop slumbering. Wake up. Wake out of your sleep. I'm coming again, and you will have no more opportunity to serve me than you do right now. You have to serve me right now. That's why you're there. Wake up and serve me. How? In love. Love is the greatest motivation to give someone the gospel. Amen? You know what? If it wasn't for the love of somebody for you, you would have never heard the gospel. You would never know who Jesus was. And the night... And God's judgment that will arrive will then for you. 
do we love others as we should? Wake up and spread the gospel. Proclaim the gospel. That's what it's talking about. How many get that from this text? It's very clear. Now, the ramifications of that we'll get to next week. But I will tell you this. What view of millennialism would you have to accept if Paul is going to say, would you wake up and get to work? I would say dogmatically that premillennialists have a problem with sitting on their laurels waiting for the coming of Christ. How many would agree with that? I'm, I'm out of here. I can't wait. Get me out of here. Are you loving yourself or loving others? The reality is, if it's a pre-understanding of a pre-millennial kingdom that we are going to be gone out of here, and we can't wait to get out of here, your love for the others is waning terribly. And Paul is very clear, dogmatically claiming and, and, and emphatically commanding Wake up! Spread the gospel. Don't be just sitting back waiting for the Lord to come. He's coming again. That is our great hope. Amen? But wake up that person and that person and over there and your co-worker and whoever else. They need the Lord. Do you love them enough to give it to them or do you love yourself enough and you're scared that you're going to hurt your pride? Wake up. Spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How many of you are living in a monastery up on a mountain in Nepal, away from all people of the world? Then why in the world do we act like that? We are in the world, but not of it. We're in the world to help people not be of the world. By giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus came. He lived. He died. He was buried. He rose again in newness of life. That we might have eternal life. By putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. We must repent and believe. Turn from and toward Jesus Christ. Amen? That is salvation. The world needs to hear that. How you doing? How you doing? Some of us have maybe 30 years left. What have we done in 50? What are we going to do in 30? Wake up. Some of us have maybe 10 years left. What have we done in our, for 80 years? What are we doing for the next 10? Some of us have almost 80 years left. What have you done in those 10? What are you going to do now for the next 80? Do we get this? Wake up! Proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters compared to that. Nothing. Everything pales in comparison to the gospel. Love people enough to gospelize. Amen? That's the whole message. Wake up. Let's pray.
<clears throat> Dear Lord, thank you so much for this passage of scripture. So awesome as it is, dear Lord, how you so greatly use the correct words in the very distinct, every aspect of it. Help us to realize our job, our ambassadorship, our servanthood that you have given us, our calling that you have given us. Lord, help us to use that to glorify your name in our job, in our family, in our work relationships, in our neighborhoods, in our playtimes, in our games we go to, wherever we go, dear Lord, help us to be that minister of the gospel for your glory and honor, realizing we have 30 years of serving you in anticipation of eternity in glorifying you with the people we minister your word to. Thank you, Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen. All right. So.